Hi everyone, welcome back to Keeping Up with the Chaldeans. Uh, this is our first episode back since the uh, lockdown. Uh, we're here with Gabby Grossbard. Uh, emphasis on the Gabby, so you can remember uh, remember the name when you get to the ballot box. Um, you're running for uh, the 9th Congressional District of Congress. Uh, you want to just say hello to our viewers, uh, introduce yourself, uh, tell them a little bit about yourself, and we'll get the interview rolling. Hi everybody, my name is Gabby. I want to thank the host, AT, for having me on, thank and you. the crew, Mark and Jordan, for putting together an awesome show. Um, I am running in Michigan's 9th Congressional District. Mm -hmm. The Congressional District, uh, a third of it's in Oakland County, two-thirds of it's are in Macomb County. Oh, wow. um, anything above north of 8 Mile, all the way to the river, up into uh, Clinton Township, major part of uh, Sterling Heights, Warren, uh, and then coming into Oakland County, Huntington Woods, and all the way up and around. I think we're actually in the district right here. Okay. As Telegraph and even uh, west of Telegraph, and then Bloomfield Township, Beverly Hills, and that area. Um, it's a big district. There's about 750,000 residents uh, as of the last census. And there's a lot of diversity. Um, the Oakland County side is an entirely different personality from the Macomb County side. Sure. Um, I fit very well with the Macomb County side, actually, even though I live here in Oakland County. It's because that I'm a blue-collar guy. My okay. background, uh, I grew up in uh, blue-collar. I'm always a worker. I had an auto repair shop. I worked with cars. I sold cars. Um, Macomb County has a very large blue-collar demographic, and, you know, the campaign slogan is from the working class for the working class. Gotcha. And uh, what, what got you interested in, in getting into politics? The current political climate mm -hmm. is very um, rough. Yeah. We essentially have uh, two parties that seem to be running in separate directions, and most voters are stranded in the middle without representation. It's very polarizing. I'm new to politics, but I came to realize that the only way to bring normalcy and stabilize the political governance in this country is for representation to go back to the way it was meant to be, which is regular people taking yep. time from their regular life, running for political office, getting elected, representing their constituents, not their own ideology, and then going back to regular life. We're in where we are right now is because people are so entrenched in their positions and they're fighting for what they're interested in and they can't get along and they can't work things out. And the losers in that equation is the American people. Yes, absolutely. And, and we're seeing a lot of that across the country and throughout. Um, I, I hope you do get elected and you can make that change. And um, So you're running as a, as a Democrat? I'm running as a Republican. As a Republican, okay. Yes. All right, good. And you're a conservative gentleman? Uh, conservative views. Man yes. of faith. Yes, man okay. of faith. You want to talk, speak a little bit about your faith and 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 why your values, bringing your values to Congress, would uh, would be a, a big plus and a positive to the people. Absolutely. So uh, I was born and raised in Israel. I'm Jewish mm -hmm. of Jewish descent, and I'm a practicing observant Jew. My view of religion is governs my life. In other words, I don't sit there and I expect people to live their life based on my religion and what I think is right and wrong. Right. Nevertheless, I do have morals and I am a principled individual and those are the types of things that should influence the way I govern. 
but ultimately I'm looking to represent the constituents of the ninth district, mm-hmm. not my religion, and not and definitely not my own views and ideology. Right. And then so so what will you bring or what what types of changes or, or things will you fight to to bring to and help the support the, the, the people? So the way representation turned out to be, like the way it evolved into, the entire country right now is being run by a representative out of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. Yeah. She's one out of 435 who happens to be the Speaker of the House. Did you know that you don't even have to be a member of Congress technically to be a Speaker of the House? They could vote for anyone to be their Speaker. Yeah. Uh, not that it's been done, but that's right. a technicality. Okay. But we wind up where we have one representative who's voted by a, a one district running the entire country that's not how it was meant to be the the congressional representative is the closest representation the citizen has in the federal government michigan Absolutely. right now has 14 representatives it's cut down into district unlike the senate where each state gets two to look out for the interest of the state the representatives are there to represent their constituents mm-hmm. Um, I intend to represent the interests of the constituents. And you know what? Uh, Congress people wind up tending getting too involved with the national and international things. I intend to focus on local, local. issues, wow. like growing the local economy, uh, like local education. You know, various local issues that are important to us. So, by making so much sense, how do you how do you expect to get elected? <laughs> and obviously, I'm being. <laughs> Comical, but yes, no, that's an excellent question. Uh-huh. Uh, I definitely have a, a tough battle ahead. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm going uh, in the general election. I'm going up against Representative Andy Levin. Okay, this is his first term, but he won the seat that was occupied before him by his father for 30 years. Yeah, this yeah. name recognition name is a big thing. Yeah, it's a big advantage on one hand. It's a disadvantage on another hand. Um, when the people are unhappy, the first thing they point the finger and are unhappy with are Mm -hmm. the norms of how it used to be. Um, When people voted for the current congressman two years ago for his first term, they really thought they were getting his father Mm 2.0. His father was a liberal, his father leaned to the left, but his father cared for the people and was reasonable. Not everyone saw eye to eye with him or not. This congressman turned out to be an extreme radical leftist and I'm hoping that he's actually vulnerable this time around. So if I get the Republican vote, and if I manage to get the independent and the moderate Democrat vote, I have a chance. So he seemed, Levin seemed to jump on the, just the tidal wave of bandwagon to support his party and his party only. He, he jumped on the impeachment wagon, slammed the current president, um, was not representative of himself in, in my opinion, from what I saw, and, and I've, I've had some interactions with him, um, and I, I feel like someone with your morals and, and, and interest in for the people w- will bring a positive change. Yeah, I, I've never spoken with him, although we do have some friends in common. Mm-hmm. He, um, uh, the, the items that you listed happen to be the moderate side of his agenda. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, in the House, uh, all the Democrats jumped on the impeachment with the exception of one or two. Yep. Um, and um, various other issues. Uh, to me, where, where, where he, 
where he allows his ideology to guide him stronger than representing his constituents are, are with the working class, for example. So Andy Levin voted against the USMCA, the United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement, an agreement that replaced NAFTA and is projected to create a lot of local jobs in his district yeah. and bring a lot of business and a lot of manufacturing, and he voted against it very proudly. Why? Mm -hmm. Because it wasn't green enough for him. So we're talking about a guy who his green ideology is more important than you earning a living or your kids being able to get a local job and not have to move to a different state to find an opportunity. Right. It's um, one example. Another example that I could bring out is uh, just a few weeks ago, right? We're coming out of a pandemic. Some states are going back into a lockdown. How you feel about the lockdown and, and the response to the pandemic is not what I want to bring out. But mm -hmm. what I do want to bring out, there economically, there's a lot of suffering here in his district. Businesses having to close down, people going bankrupt, uh, marriages being on the rocks. You know, there's a lot of, of, of emotional, Social. mental issues. And mm -hmm. what is he busy doing? He is sponsoring legislation. That means he's writing it. That the United States of America should take taxpayer money and send it to North Korea to help those people over there. You know what? <laughs> the ninth district devoted you in, not the people of North Korea. Represent right. us. Yeah, that's that's huge. <laughs> that's too bad, but I hope hopefully it'll it'll change. Uh, so, who else are you running against, or is it just in the general? It's it's Andy Levin. I do okay. have a primary challenger. Okay. Uh, the primary challenger. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about sure, him. No Feel problem. free to look him up if you like. Yep. He's also new to politics. Okay. In my opinion, he does not have a shot at winning the general. Okay. I think that I do. Okay. But I do need, and I, what I've been focusing on is not attacking my primary challenger. I'm focusing on turning up the vote in the primary. The reason for that is I've spoken to a state Republican Party, to the National Republican Party. Um, I need to convince them that there is an opportunity in the 9th District. You know, Macomb County is a pivot county. It's very important for the Trump re-election campaign. They're going to sure. be pouring money into Macomb one way or another. It will be nice if I was part of those plans. And if they think that there's an opportunity and they're convinced that Andy Levin is vulnerable, mm -hmm. they will come on board. So one of the things that I hope to show them is that I could turn out the vote and get a nice primary uh, turnout election. And that's what I'm focused on. Got you. And then, so as our viewers are, you know, we have a lot of Chaldean viewers and being that the show is keeping up mm -hmm. with the Chaldeans, what can the Chaldean people do to help you and how are you helping the Chaldean people as their representative, if you are to be elected? Um, the Chaldean people and the Jewish people go way back. Mm -hmm. We have a lot in common. We're very close. Absolutely. Uh, um, History-wise and value-wise, family value-wise, mm -hmm. uh, pro-life-wise, uh, economy-wise. We're entrepreneurs. We're people who don't want to sit at home and collect a check. We want to go out and work and earn it. If yep. I didn't earn it, I don't want it. Yep. That's that's a very common uh, ideology. We raise our kids with, with family values um, and with history, with, with religion. A lot of that is in common. Uh, that is a stark contrast from the representation that we have right now. And I encourage every person who's Chaldean, who lives in this district, even if you're not Chaldean, if you yep. live in this district, yep. Come out and vote for me, especially in this primary, and then turn out in the general election and vote. Your voice is very important right now. 
And if we don't want to start battling all this left-wing agenda stuff in our regular life, we have to come out and vote. Okay. And so with the relationships of, of the Chaldeans and the, and the Jewish people here, the, our paths are kind of running parallel, which is, which is a, a good comforting thing that we have, you know, a, a, a advocate and, 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 and family values together. What are some of the things that, that are going on back home um, that kind of to talk to talk a little bit about the the the, the Chaldeans, the Syrians, and the, and the Israelis, if you can. Right. So, I, I was born and raised in Israel. Mm -hmm. Israel drafts and everyone serves into the army. When I was when I was a kid and I was asked, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" My answer was, "I want to be a soldier." We looked up to our soldiers. I knew as a kid growing up that there's someone putting their life on the line to keep me safe, and then it will be my turn to return the favor to put my life on the line so they could raise their kids. It's how the system is over there. Yeah. Um, Israel has been at war essentially since its creation, <laughs> um, but Israel has always looked for peace, contrary to the reputation that we have. Um, people talk about a two-state solution, now in Congress uh, there's some left-wing uh, anti-Israel voices that are calling for a one-state solution, which essentially means the end of Israel. Um, but Israel has offered the Palestinian a state five times. And every one of these times, the Palestinians said no. They walked away. Uh, one of the biggest chances that they had was in 2000 on Camp David with President Clinton, Prime Minister Rabin, and um, Yasser Arafat as the Palestinian chairman. Mm -hmm. And in Bill Clinton's words, Yasser Arafat was here for 14 days and he said no to everything. They were offered everything and they chose not to. Hmm. That causes uh, major friction and Israel has only asked for two things the entire time. Israel's willing to give up land, they have proven that, they're willing to give up money, they're willing to give up or release terrorists. They, want, they have two requests. They, please recognize our right to exist as, a, as an independent sovereign country. Mm -hmm. And stop killing us. Yeah. <laughs> you would think that they could say yes to one simple. of these, and and the answer is always no. But that creates, uh, you know, with Israel's neighbors, with Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Iraq behind it, mm -hmm. uh, with Egypt, we have a peace plan that's been holding since seventy nine eighty, which is which is great. Mm -hmm. But um, there are a lot of refugees, and there are a lot of uh, from both sides uh, on the Arab side. Uh, the Chaldeans are persecuted. Uh, the Jews are, are persecuted everywhere. There used to be before 1948, before Israel came about, there were there were close to a million Jewish people living in Arab nations. Mm -hmm. Now it's down to under a thousand. They either were expelled yeah. or they were killed. Right. Wow. Um, but Israel on their border with Syria. They, they bring people in for medical care. You know, yeah. there are people who are injured, people who need specific, even from the West Bank, from Gaza, who's, as they're throwing bombs at us, <laughs> they bring their kids or they're sick to the border and we take them to the hospital and we give them care because we're pro-life yeah, and pro -life. we're humanitarian yeah. and we're sympathetic. Yeah. So you talked about your uh, military uh, time. W what do you make of this defunding the police Drive. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great question. I just want to finish up one last thing. Oh, sure, with that. sure. The reason it's important that the United States support Israel is not just because, hey, they're a country that would get overrun otherwise. 
I, I'm a strange believer, and history proves it, that mm -hmm. a strong, independent Israel is in the interest of America. So even if you don't care about foreign policy, uh, that's fine. Yeah. But it's in our best interest. A lot of the wars, you know, 9-11 didn't start here. Yeah. Pearl Harbor didn't start here. All these attacks on the states didn't start here. Having strong allies in the world keeps a lot of these attacks off of our shores right here, which is why it's in our best interest as Americans. And I, I'm running for Congress to represent America, not to represent Israel. But right. it's in our best interest, and that's why I'm focused on that. Um, defunding the police is... Uh, um, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'll, tell, I'll tell you this about it. The left is usually much better at naming their movements. Yeah. Like, they're brilliant with naming their yeah we need uh, their, their marketing agenda. we need their marketing defunding the police is a lousy name yeah it, it's tough to get behind something like that uh, does the police i'll be the first to tell you that government well so which would which would you prefer yeah defunding the police or abolishing the police like who had a better name do you think abolish eyes <laughs> <laughs> well that obviously didn't work they went to to defunding the police right yeah. uh, they they um there's no question that there's excess spending in the police departments, just like every sure. government department. Sure. The government's lousy at running budgets. They overspend on everything. There's no question that you could go into the police department and get the same results for less money. Mm -hmm. But that's not what we're trying to accomplish here. Right. That, and I would lump police in together with all other uh, government departments, education and, and defense. All of that could use better budgeting. No sure. question. That's important. But... To simply say to people, you know, yesterday there was an interview with the Attorney General of Minnesota, and he's trying to convince the people he's interviewing with that if you are a woman who's a victim of sexual assault, wouldn't you rather talk to someone who is trained to help you deal with it rather than a police officer? Mm -hmm. So collecting DNA, tracking down the person so he's not out there as a menace to society, what it falls by the wayside? I, I, I have no doubt that the police could use reform with their policing. You know, um, they shouldn't be able to beat up anyone they want. Most of them don't. Right. But don't, don't, don't just blanketly say, okay, let's get rid of the police, because the people advocating for this are liberals from the suburbs and criminals. Yeah. Uh, we shouldn't be taking advice from either, either group. I agree. Yeah, that's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's strange. And, and, of course, the police are are us. They're, they're, we're police born. Where, where do police come from? They come from us, from the, our people, from the people. So to, to hate on the police is, is, is a, doing yourself an injustice, in my opinion. Right. And, and to clarify what's going on, the police are getting the blame. Mm -hmm. The blame should go to city councils uh, and mayors. Police yeah. are a local authority. Yeah. What they do is in these cities that are democratically run and the police uh, department uh, uh, and, and the city council give, write a book of laws and they hand it to a cop and they say, go ahead out in the street and enforce these laws. Yep. The cop doesn't have the, he doesn't write the laws. He doesn't decide what to enforce. Yep. So you give a cop stupid laws to enforce, like in New York with uh, the unfortunate case of Eric Garner. They wrote a law that says you're not allowed to sell cigarettes individually in the street. Yeah. Uh, why uh, uh, to appease the cigarette lobbies, whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's their law. They're telling the cops, this is a priority, go out there and enforce it. So he, they go out there and enforce it. That altercation goes bad. 
the Eric Garner unfortunately winds up dying from it. Yeah. That altercation should have never happened in the first place. We need to reduce the amount of times police are interacting with 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 citizens. With citizens, yeah. Including with face masks. You you have it, you don't have it, but to tell police to go ahead and enforce it. Imagine a, a police officer walks up to someone to enforce a mask law. Right. Law. It's not a law, but nevertheless. And that escalates and goes bad and someone winds up getting killed. Now mm -hmm. we're going to say, oh, well, we're killing people for masks. No. Unfortunate situations happen because that the city council and the mayor are enforcing silly laws. We need to deregulate. So with all of 2020, and uh, granted there was a, a pandemic in the middle of it, what has Congress accomplished in, in with what you've seen and then what would you like them to have accomplished through the during this time well they managed to almost impeach a duly elected president for no good reason mm -hmm. um, you know to to those on the impeachment train who were all for it and disappointed it didn't go through I say to them you know what um, I was very disappointed to see the two charges that they charged the president with. I was expecting to see treason and and all sorts of uh, abuse of power. And, and the two charges that they threw at him were, were, were essentially jaywalking. Yeah. Uh, if and, and one that was completely made up. It's not, and, and they wasted our time and money. And had they in Congress investigated the beginning of this uh, COVID-19, which yeah. was starting in December and January, they were all busy trying to get in more witnesses and drag this out longer during instead of holding hearings. And is that part of their duty? Yes, having these types of hearings, uh, yeah. yeah okay. uh, the, there's a state and local response, like uh, the state is responsible for hospital beds, for ventilators, for PPE. They regulate how many doctors are allowed to, to work in the state. The state regulates that. Oh, wow. Then they turn around and yell at the federal government, hey, we don't have enough beds, we don't have enough this, it's <laughs> your fault. It's not their fault. Right. But the federal government does have a role and they should hear it. Another thing here, if we're talking about a short 2020, because it wasn't that long ago, mm -hmm. and this is a topic that really eats me up. On February 25th, 2020, not even five months ago, uh, the Senate brought up a bill called the Born Alive Survivor Bill. If a baby survives abortion and he's alive, mm -hmm. out of the womb, in your hands, alive, it was a short bill. So it didn't include any other thing. It just said you must provide it with medical care like you would any other baby. It didn't pass. Hmm. It didn't pass. If we're at a point where we can't, and it's not a federal crime to not provide medical care to a, to a baby. Right. Out of the womb. Nothing to do with the mother's body, nothing to do with right to choose. Baby is born alive, and, and it didn't matter. 44 senators voted against it. That should scare everybody, whether you're pro-life or you're pro-choice. None of that should translate into letting a baby lay there and die after it's born. Wow. That's disheartening. Oh. Very, that's terrible. So, as we wrap if if you have anything else to share if you have a message for our people if you have a message for our viewers please share it okay um i am a good candidate and i would love to represent you because that i am very pro small business i am pro local economy i am pro uh bringing manufacturing back from china macomb county is a natural fit for it 
we can create high quality, good paying jobs right here. We have uh, in Macomb again, a local aerospace and defense industry that's pretty big. It's a hidden gem. A lot of people don't know about it, but we need, we need a lot of um, uh, support from the federal government. Our entire area can flourish, including the Oakland County side. I ask you to vote Gabi. When you go into the ballot, I used to do a lot of research and I look at the names and I can't remember. They all look like I've seen them for the first time. Vote Gabi. You look down the ballot. Gabi, you'll see remember, Gabi. guys. Yeah, you see Gabi and you vote Gabi. That's vote uh, Gabi. that's the slogan from the working class for the working class, and uh, I will look out for your interests. I really appreciate you taking the time to come out. I appreciate you sharing your thoughts and views, and uh, everyone get out there and vote, and make sure you vote for Gabi, and and let's uh, let's bring a little stability back to the ninth. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you.